Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conversationalists, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, reviewing all the news made this weekend, lots of it, not on the Sunday shows. In fact, the Sunday shows, we're talking about my event. So I might as well play you the audio directly from the event than the way the Sunday shows characterized the event. It was it was a great time. It was it was a great um, great to have these guys there. Now, one word, because I've gotten a couple of emails on this, and I know Charlie got a phone call on it. Uh, where was Donald Trump and all this? I want to explain to you why we didn't invite Donald Trump. When I announced that we were going to do the conference, I said I was going to invite Donald Trump. So why didn't we? Well, the Trump campaign said uh, very explicitly that they weren't going to share the stage with any of these contenders. They don't find them to be legitimate. So he didn't uh, participate with Tucker Carlson in his Iowa event for the family leader. He didn't participate with Kim Reynolds in Iowa with with her um, discussions with the candidates. She did one-on-ones with candidates like Tucker Carlson. He wouldn't go. There was one in South Carolina. He didn't participate in that. There was one in, in New Hampshire. He didn't participate in that. And I did not want to put us in a position where we're trying to negotiate with his team, knowing they're going to say no, because they very explicitly said they had no intention of doing these sorts of events. And then three, four months in trying to hold the slot that now we've got to fill because they said what we knew they were going to say. It just wasn't worth my time or energy uh, to have my team try to do this. Now, you can disagree. That's fine. But understand, we knew they were going to say no out of the gate. They've been very explicitly say no to Tucker Carlson, to Kim Reynolds, to the groups in South Carolina, New Hampshire. They sure as heck weren't going to say yes to me. But we learned in his absence a lot from these candidates. Uh, but I also, I didn't want to just have presidential candidates. One of the people that I've been trying to get to know a little better and I wanted to invite was the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Now, a, a funny side note on this setup. Um, it, it actually, I personally found it to be hilarious. Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia was hesitant to come because he is single-mindedly focused on winning the Virginia Senate this year. It's up for real. It's up for election. The Democrats in Virginia went hard left, like really hard left in their primaries. The Democrats in Virginia uh, picked some really wackadoo progressive candidates who are all about ESG and equity and schools should be shut back down when COVID rises, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he's focused on that. So we did not want to, he did not want to be on stage and be perceived as a presidential candidate wrongly. Uh, and he said, look, I don't want to come unless I can get Brian Kemp to come back on stage with me. We can do a group discussion. And we're like, bad idea. 
You do this, people are going to say, oh, these guys are, are hinting at a candidacy. They're hinting at a ticket. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't want to do well. That's what he wanted. That's what he did. And I'm glad we did it because there were some fantastic moments on stage. The interaction between Yunkin and Kemp, we closed out the event. It was a hit. Uh, let me play you some of this interaction. No, we do. And, and it's, I think, also an opportunity to really uh, reemphasize the fact that in a state like Virginia, which really is a microcosm for the country, you know, we have a huge group of independent voters that we have to win in order to win elections on a statewide basis. And, and we were fortunate enough to win the independent vote in 2021. But we got to go back and win it again. And when, when the Democrats have their primaries and they basically throw out everybody who's reasonable and replace them with folks who are extreme, it only furthers our argument. And, and when they when they block bills, and this last legislative session was was just a perfect example of where they stand. I, I put in a bill that, that basically says if you're a fentanyl dealer and you deal fentanyl to someone and they die, we should be able to charge you with a felony homicide. And they voted it down. They chose dealers over victims. And I put in a bill that said if, if you're a family and your child wants to open a social media account, that child who's under the age of 18 has to get parental approval in order to do that. And the social media account, the social media company can't harvest your data and sell it. They voted that down and said, no, we're gonna we're gonna side with social media companies over families. I put in a bill that said that that at the end of the day, a bill that had been passed earlier, signed by the previous administration, that outsourced our government to California and now requires Virginia to follow the mandates on what car you buy what car you buy. So in 2024, Virginians will have to start buying electric vehicles based on California's decisions. I think that Virginians should make this decision, not California. I mean, at the end of the day, the last place Virginians want to be is California because they're all moving to Virginia. But, but they voted that down as well. And finally, last year, we were fortunate enough to convince everybody, even in a bipartisan way, that Virginians were way overtaxed. And we had a $4 billion tax relief package that we got done, four times anything that anybody had ever seen in Virginia. And we ran another $5 billion surplus this year. So I've been fighting to go back for more tax relief. And of course, the Senate Democrats don't want any part of it. So the reality is that while we have found ways to navigate, I believe very importantly, tax relief and reducing regulations and empowering parents and standing up, standing up for law enforcement, I have this battle every day with folks who really are extreme. And I think what we'll show in November is that not just Republicans, but independents and a lot of Democrats are tired of the extremism of the far left and will in fact elect a majority House, a majority Senate that are Republican and allow us to continue to accelerate the progress that we're making. So you listen to this, makes you feel good to have a House and a Senate with Republicans in control? <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about we already did all that. <laughs> Ryan I'm proud Glenn Young is fixing to do it too. That's, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little more specifically about the political landscape that, uh, Governor Kemp, you've left a political operation, though your term limited, in place to continue the grassroots operations that uh, other organizations, the state party and stuff, have kind of atrophied in the past to be able to turn out the vote. And now you and Virginia are doing something very similar to just encourage Republicans to not be too clever by half and just all storm the polls on Election Day, but bank their votes. Yeah, well, I have to say I don't mind I don't mind being a fast follower and 
and the great early voting program that was run last year in Georgia kind of set the, the real template on how to do this. I call that the first edition of the playbook here. And so what did we do? Well, we went and hired Governor Kemp's team and said, come to Virginia and let's, let's write the second edition of this. And listen, the rules, they're the rules. And I didn't write them, I inherited them. And we've got to go compete. And we've got to get Republicans off the sidelines and not take the risk of missing. And I'm so tired of going into election day down thousands, if not tens of thousands of votes, because we're so far behind in early voting. And so we're running a hard press, 45 days of early voting. We're running a, a statewide campaign. We've had help from lots of folks and everybody is aligned, everybody from top to bottom in our party about signing people up to vote early. And we have a huge military military contingent in Virginia. Listen, one out of 10 adults in Virginia is a veteran. We have 150,000 active duty. Uh, we have families in Virginia. I want folks to vote in Virginia and make sure they can. And so this secureyourvotevirginia.com program rolled out hard and we are signing people up to order absentee ballots if they're at risk of not showing up or to just make a plan to vote early so that we can bank your vote and get this done. I'm excited about it. People have really taken it up and I think it'll make the difference. And I think it'll be a key ingredient in not just delivering our House and our Senate this year, but I think this first edition that was written in Georgia and the second edition that is being written in Virginia really can be a template for the nation in 2024. That's essentially what he's trying to do, and that's why I wanted to play this clip to highlight for you is he and Brian Kemp, among others, are working very hard to build a ground game for the future of the, of the nation and the just the turnout game, the turnout model, the, the early ballot harvesting and collection uh, to be able to get people out there to turn out the vote, to not be able to... Uh, sit home, rest on our laurels, things like that. Uh, it was a great conversation with them, and I had to, I'm trying to, as I sit here, wrap this up. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta ask this last question here. Now I'm doing this on the fly, just so you know. But I was proud of myself for asking this question at the end. Those of you outside Georgia, maybe not, but again, my conversation with the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, and Brian Kemp. I have no secret, but that's what they do, and we battle it every day. And I think we've made huge progress. Governor, last question for you. Um, how is it to get up every morning uh, with the burden of knowing you don't have the two-time college football national champions in your state? <laughs> so so I'll, just, I'll just give you a little, it's a little snippet into this about how, how proud your governor is. He was just doing me a favor and helping us with a video about early voting. And at the end of it, he needed, he needed to wrap up by saying, and go vote. And I thought he was going to say, go dogs. And that was the problem. Luckily, you know, we, we held him back. Um, but listen, if somebody's got to have two-time national champions and it's not a school in Virginia, it might as well be somebody in Georgia. Listen, that was it. That was a good answer for him uh, on the end. Uh, I, I enjoyed the, the reaction to Governor Brian Kemp, a huge uh, Georgia Bulldog fan as football season's about to start. I actually asked him during his conversation on stage on Friday, uh, his thoughts on uh, college football and where things would lead. It was it was a great conference. We uh, assume we will do it next year, and here's why. Regardless of people's views about the presidency and the presidential candidates, the Senate is at stake next year. And I can envision us doing an event, uh, thematically a capture the flag event, where we got to capture the Senate. We have a lot at stake, uh, Pennsylvania and Montana, Arizona, Nevada, Ohio, 
Um, we've got seats in, in Florida and Texas that are presumed to be vulnerable. I don't know that they actually are. We've got a Virginia seat as well that's up for grabs that it might be possible. Uh, we've got real opportunities to flip the U.S. Senate next year if we play our cards right and get candidates. And I can just see us having an event where we, regardless of, of how the presidential race lands, and, and we'll leave a slot for the top of the ticket regardless of who it is, but we need to rally the flag to capture the flag of the United States Senate and pick up the House and expand seats in the House. And there's a good opportunity, I think, for us to do that next year. We, we had kind of gone into this conference resigned to the fact that this is probably the last one we would do because it is so uh, all-consuming, but it just seems like it's a natural fit and nobody else in radio rallies their audience to get them together in a room to see these leaders. And, and I don't know that there actually is anybody in talk radio these days. Uh, who has the credentials to be able to do something like this and the street cred with these sorts of candidates to get them in the room. So I guess we may consider doing one again next year. If you want to see the individual conversations that happened over the two days, if you text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to the number 33777, I'm going to send you back a lot of links. The very top link will be to the individual interviews you click the link, you'll go to YouTube, you'll see the individual interviews. You can pick the ones you want to watch. Uh, they're ad-free. Well, I, I don't know. On YouTube, they embed ads. But, like, we, we they, you can see the continuous conversation, I think. Um, and they're good conversations. We learned a lot from these candidates because we weren't consumed with talking indictments and the former president. And you actually learned where these candidates stood on the issue. So check them out. Text ERIC to 33777. And the elephant not in the room, Donald Trump. Yeah. The election's held tomorrow. He's the nominee. CNN is beginning to freak out about that. Wait until you hear the audio that happened this morning on CNN. You can follow Eric around on social media at E.W. Erickson on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And check him out at EWerickson.com. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now. Welcome. There is a media freakout happening because of the polling. You know, I, if you've listened to this program, you know I'm I'm not a big fan of the former president, but I've also been saying he could beat Biden, particularly if the economy does go into a recession towards the end of this year. Uh, there's a real path to victory. There's a, a, a real path to victory for the president. It matters greatly. And, um, and I'm talking Trump, not Biden. Listen to this from CNN. Trump's lead is even larger. So these are three polls that were out over the last week. Look at these leads for Donald Trump. He's at 62% in the CBS News YouGov poll, 57% in Quinnipiac University, 53% in the Fox News poll. Look at where DeSantis is in all these polls. Look how far back he is. He doesn't crack 20% in any of them. So in Iowa, you have that 20-plus point lead for Donald Trump. That's actually smaller than the lead we see nationally, where we see these leads of 35, 40, near 50 points in this particular case. Of course, the primary is one thing. If Trump wins the primary, can he go on and win the general election? And we've had three polls that have come out over the last week here. And I want you to take a look at how close this race is at this particular point. Granted, the general election is over a year away. 
The largest lead for Joe Biden is just three points within the margin of error. No clear leader. Look at these. One point. One point. If you go back at where we were at this point four years ago, Joe Biden's lead was high single digits to low double digits. This is significantly closer than where we were four years ago. So this idea that Donald Trump can't win the general election, I want you to lose that idea. This race is very, very close. And Donald Trump is polling better right now than basically at any point during the entire 2020 After cycle. Foreign uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, part of this is, of course, CNN's trying to freak out its progressive listeners or viewers, just so you understand that. They're raising the red alert, saying, whoa, 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 this race. But it's not. It's not. I mean, look, you, you, you've got this. Fox News is the worst performer for Trump, and it t kind of has been. Uh, Biden 44, Trump 41. Quinnipiac, Biden 47, Trump 46. Marist of Biden 47, Biden, uh, Trump 46. They're not brilliant pollsters. They're about a B. They're not an A. But even the A pollsters show this as well. This is going to be a very close race. It is a race where Donald Trump himself could win it. The question, though, is how alienating and brutal the Republican primaries are. That's going to matter, too. That's going to matter. Americans for Prosperity is working to turn as many people out as possible in the primaries in the general. They're doing a door-to-door -door campaign. They're also out there educating American voters about Bidenomics. They're doing a big bus tour. The Reignite the American Dream bus was at the gathering on Friday and Saturday. It's going around the nation uh, educating voters about the Biden agenda and how we can wrestle the agenda away from Biden and bring it back to conservative hands. Uh, Americans for Prosperity wants you on their team. If you go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today, you can sign up. They've got over 4 million activists. They were recruiting people at the gathering this weekend, a great organization, uncompromising in their vision for a limited government. They interviewed uh, my friend Congressman Chip Roy. I played the audio of my of uh, Akash from AFP, his interview with Chip on limiting regulations, defanging Washington, gutting the bureaucracy. It's what they're committed to. They want you on their side. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. got the courage to tell you the truth, even when it isn't popular. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. The phone line is our open at 877-973-7425. I get to switch gears now, and I want to talk about the Democrats. We, we've covered the Republicans. We've covered Trump. Um, I, I should say this, though, regarding uh, President Trump and the indictments. You know, in, in all honesty, uh, so Brian Kemp on stage on Friday said it's not going to happen before the election. That needs to be emphasized over and over. It, it, it's just the way the state court trial system is going to work in Georgia and the length of time it's going to take to pick a jury, and it's going to get moved to federal court more likely than not. Mark Meadows' motion uh, is legit. It is sound. And if he moves it to federal court, all of them are going to move to federal court. You're not going to try him in federal court and the others elsewhere. He's moving to dismiss his part of the case. Now, if he can get his dismissed before everything's moved to federal court, I don't see how that happens, but maybe it impacts it. But Jeff Clark was a deputy attorney general of the United States, acting under color of his office for Donald Trump, advising him, 
He could force it to be moved to federal court. Donald Trump was president of the United States. He could, too. The federal rules of criminal procedure are pretty straightforward rules of criminal procedure. They don't favor prosecutors as much as Georgia's rules do. And while state rules or state laws on RICO will govern in the federal case, they're just taking the state case to federal court. Federal courts still use the federal rules of criminal procedure, which will complicate the DA's case. It was not really a smart play on the part of the district attorney to drag Mark Meadows in. Particularly, we now know Mark Meadows was working with the uh, U.S. or working with the special prosecutor. Mark Meadows was, in fact, um, cooperating on the case of the documents. Mark Meadows said, in fact, that um, that he had no recollection whatsoever of Donald Trump declassifying the documents. That's actually a big admission from the from Mark Meadows. It's it's a pretty significant admission from Mark Meadows that Donald Trump doesn't have any sort of uh, power to declassify now, that he didn't declassify ahead of time. She was on television the other day. Sarah Isger was. She used to be the spokesperson for the Department of Justice, uh, blasting the case from Fawny Willis and uh, it's Fulton County that she's in over her head. She doesn't know what she's doing. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm stammering a little bit because I was trying to find the clip of her from the Sunday show. I was talking about this. It's a pretty brutal clip about the Fulton County indictment and just how bad it was to drag Mark Meadows in, given that it allows a way to pack up the case and send it to federal court where the lay of the land is awful for the state prosecutors. It's going to take a very long time. But... It's not actually what I want to talk about here. I want to talk about something else. Back in the day, when I was a kid, before Philip was born, there was this thing called an Atari. It was one of the first video game consoles. Eventually, you got to Nintendo and Sega, but they had these cartridges, and you'd put the cartridges in the machines. And sometimes they didn't work right. And you'd pull out the cartridge, you'd blow hard in it to get any dust out of it, you'd put it back in the machine and turn it on. Sometimes you gave a thwack to the machine and it would turn on. And you figure these things out as a kid, trial and error. Have you turned it off and restarted? This is what I tell my kids all the time. They're always stunned that it works. You turn it off, you turn it back on. Y'all, how many times, in all honesty, in all candor, how many times can you turn off, pull out Kamala Harris's cartridges, blow the dust out, put them back in and turn her back on and give her a kick in the butt. How many times can you reboot Kamala Harris? We're on what? Reboot 110 billion trillion for Kamala Harris. I literally, she's doing an interview with the Politico. This is their headline. I can't get into people's heads. Thank God for that. Kamala Harris tries to reshape her public image ahead of 2024. I don't know if that's Willie Brown reference or not. We'll presume that it's not. Backstage, as she prepares for a not-so-intimate fireside chat about gun safety, in front of hundreds of people, Kamala Harris is unscripted and seemingly at ease. No notes, no teleprompter in sight. She's comfortable offering condolences and counsel to those who've lost loved ones to gun violence, who stream in wearing red shirts emblazoned with moms demand action, 
or students demand action. She holds her hands and looks into their eyes. We speak their names, she whispered to one woman. She gently reassures a man, clearly anxious about where to stand in the photo line. All eyes are on her, but that's been true of Harris for a while now, and the view has not often been kind. Her tenure as Joe Biden's number two has not been known for relaxed and warm moments like those in Chicago. Instead, Harris's team has largely been marked by stilted performances at public events at odds with the uninhibited interrogator she was known as in the Senate. They fueled whispers about whether she'll be a drag on the reelection ticket. The 2024 race heats up now. Her political future and quite possibly the success of the Democratic Party in 2024 hinges on a simple question. Is it possible for Kamala Harris to make a second impression? A second impression? Hell, this is like the 30th impression we've had. Uh, this article, I had to check to see if the article had a, a double A, a triple A, or a D or a C rating on it as batteries for Kamala Harris. Good Lord. I mean, the media, you had the New York Times try to do a fawning profile. You've had the Washington Post try to do a fawning profile. The Los Angeles Times. The, the, now you've got political. All of them are trying to reboot Kamala Harris. Maybe the problem is her. Now, here's the thing. This this is important for you to understand. How many articles has political run that it's not the campaign, it's DeSantis? There have been numerous articles in the New York Times and the Washington Post and Politico and USA Today and Talking Heads on TV saying the problem is not DeSantis's campaign. The problem is DeSantis. They're making it personal about DeSantis. You can't find those stories about Kamala Harris when it really is Kamala Harris is the problem. I mean, for God's sakes, the New York Times tried to do that profile of Kamala Harris to reboot her on like this was reboot number 52. And the names of the people Kamala Harris gave to the New York Times of people who would say nice things about her, they're like, I'm not saying anything nice about her. This is ridiculous. This is a problem. This is a real problem for the Democrats. Kamala Harris is simply not a good candidate. She's just not. And Eugene Daniels, by the way, is, is pretty, he's an MSNBC political analyst. He's on Morning Joe. He's kind of, well, kind of liberal. Sympathetic to Kamala Harris. He does his best. But it's not really enough. For Harris, it's a question that fundamentally misunderstands the point. In her mind, she's the same person she was when the prevailing narrative of her was that as a star prosecutor, a Senate political talent, and even the future of the Democratic Party. You could have followed me around Iowa ahead of 2020, Harris told Politico in one of two exclusive interviews. You would have seen the same thing four years ago. It's always who I've been. So I can't get into people's heads about why they characterize things as being one way or another. It's not as though I've just found myself. I've always been here and never went away. But privately... Former and current aides acknowledged that her focus at the beginning was on making sure it was clear she was on Team Biden. She spoke in legalese, often seemed cautious, and struggled to find issues that highlighted her talents. They privately and sometimes publicly admit the first year and a half was rocky. Now, there's a hope. The rockiness may finally be behind them. 
And there's a concerted effort underway to ensure that she not only has the support she needs from the White House, but that the broader public can see the side of her that they believe has been overshadowed by the toxic elements of D.C. To that end, her aides are trying to remind the public of that person in part by inviting reporters to witness her behind the scenes. Oh, good Lord. People have seen her behind the scenes. The problem is they don't like her. How hard is this? She's not a likable person. Hillary Clinton was not a likable person. I've got to tell you, in my humble experience as someone who's been in politics for some time, friends, when you're around people and the thing they want you to know is she's so likable, it means she's not. Hillary Clinton's staff. You talk to Hillary Clinton's staff. Hillary Clinton would say all the time, her staff would, that she's so likable. In person, she's so likable. Why doesn't it translate on the campaign stage? She's so likable behind the scenes. And they say it as if they're hostages. That if if I don't tell you she's likable, I'm going to die. You look at these people and they stare blankly in the camera. Yes, I love Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is just so wonderful. I I adore working for Hillary Clinton, and I just think Hillary is the greatest person I've ever known. I wish she were my mother, and I had spent time in her womb. And all the while they're talking, they're trying to blink out SOS. That was what it was like for these Hillary staffers. They, they, they kept telling, oh, she's the greatest person on earth. Get me out of here. This is what it's like with Kamala Harris. I mean, she's had massive staff rollover in the first two years of this presidential administration. Everyone who worked for Kamala Harris winds up quitting very quickly. And the staff does the same as they do with Hillary Clinton. She is delightful to work for. We love Kamala Harris. We just wish we had greater opportunities to leave her office and travel the country without her to tell people just how wonderful Kamala Harris is. Did we mention she's wonderful? I mean, my gosh, she's she just, listen, I personally think in all candor and honesty, I really do think you could probably sit down with Kamala Harris and her husband, and you could have a, a fine evening. She likes to cook. I like to cook. I believe I should be able to try to find common ground with pretty much anyone, even people I disagree with, people I don't much care for. I should be able to find some connections. I have yet to spend time with someone I profoundly disagree with on things and, and not be able to find some level of common ground on something with them, trying to agree with people on something. Ken Cuccinelli was at the gathering. He's the running Never Back Down, the DeSantis Super PAC. He worked for Donald Trump uh, on the border issue. Before that, he was Attorney General of Virginia. Before that, he was a state senator in Virginia, and his district was overwhelmingly Democrat, and he was a committed Catholic conservative. And he won his race by knocking on doors. He was relentless. He knocked on doors all the time. Every day, he knocked on people's doors in his district to get to know them because he genuinely, fundamentally, truly, purely believed that if I can connect with someone on an issue, I've never found someone I couldn't connect with on an issue. I could get to know this person, and maybe they might vote for me. And it worked. It worked. It worked. And he won over and over and over. 
I'm sure I could sit down and have a good, fun conversation with Kamala Harris. The problem is Kamala Harris, the person, may be a f- okay person to hang out with and get to know even if you disagree with them. But Kamala Harris, the politician, is bad and it comes across as opportunistic and ruthless. And it just doesn't translate. It's like she tries too hard. There's something there. And her campaign doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. She's hard on her staff. And she loses a lot of staff as a result. And now, Deep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Get the podcast, live stream, email, and social media links by texting Eric to 33777 now. Just uh, on that, if you text Eric to 33777, I'm going to send you back a lot of links. You can follow me around social media. Philip got my iPhone. And while I was on stage with candidates, as others were coming on stage, he was asking them non-political questions, which was uh, they, they were they were pretty funny. People began referring to it as the stolen iPhone content. You can see those if you follow me on Instagram. Uh, and if you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, you get the links to follow me on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. Uh I guess I'll add in threads. Apparently threads is adding a a desktop support this week. I haven't used threads in about a month because I just, I I use my web browser. I don't need, uh, I don't want to use my phone all day. But uh, if you text Eric to 33777, the very first link that you're going to get back is a link to my page on YouTube. And we've got each individual interview up there in high definition quality for you to be able to watch at your leisure the substantive questions answered by all the people on stage. One thing I want to call your attention to, it is the most talked about thing that happened on stage. Uh, we did a panel discussion on parental rights. I, My buddy Greg Mueller, who he and his team at CRC Advisors helped us so much do this conference and pull it off, he's the one who suggested I hadn't even really thought about it. He came up with it, and he says, you know, you should do something on parental rights. It's like, okay. Let's do something on parental rights. And we did a 45-minute discussion on parental rights and education and how so many school boards, they kind of hide when they're up for election. They don't aggressively campaign. The teachers' unions keep it very quiet in some states, in fact. And so nobody participates. Nobody gets involved. Nobody shows up to fight. And it's a new front for conservatives to battle on. And it was a great discussion. It was so buzzed about, in fact, I had to teach a Sunday school class yesterday. Literally got up... um, at 5 a.m., went to bed at 1 a.m., got up at 5 a.m., and drove home about 7, 45, 8 o'clock in the morning, got home, uh, had a cup of coffee, went down, taught a Sunday school class, and I got there, and they were all talking about the parental rights panel more than any of the candidates. They were talking about that panel. 
Uh, that's on YouTube along with everything else. You should really watch it for yourself. It was a great discussion. But all the candidates, uh, the the exchange with Brian Kemp and Glenn Youngkin is there. Thank you to all of them for coming and to all the sponsors as well. Uh, you know, the one we reached out to several of the tech companies, Meta, uh, parent company of Facebook, they were willing to sponsor. Uh, and they were going to bring somebody to sit on stage and let me grill them on our differences of opinion. And they said, you know what? You're going to do so many presidential candidates. Don't let us overshadow it. Uh, here's our money. Uh, and you do your conference. They were very gracious to us. And I just wanted on the record that they were the one tech company that didn't turn us down and said, we, we don't even need a stage presence. We're just happy to help, um, even if we disagree on stuff. And and we do, but they were very kind. So thank you to Meta, Americans for Prosperity, Heritage, so many came forward, stepped up, helped us. Um, Governor Brian Kemp's hard work in Americans Pack was our co-host for it. It was a great event. Uh, the news returns tomorrow. Joe Biden's aliases. Yeah, we need to talk about those. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.